Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. All right, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. I am here with a fascinating guest today who's got uh, just about more personality than anybody I've ever met in my life. Uh, and, I, and we're going to do something a little bit different today because normally what I do is I start with something inspirational that I've read, heard, or seen since the last time we were together. But I'm actually going to invite our guest out to talk about person who he introduced me to, not literally, but just he told me about a guy named Robert Ravencraft. Um, and he'll tell you about Robert in a moment. But before I do, I've got to introduce our guest. His name is Eric Bland. He is an attorney. He's a proud husband of 34 years. He's a proud dad. He's a health nut. He's an extreme skier. He's also got the seventh rated podcast in the world called Cup of Justice with the Murdoch Murder podcast. He's also the person responsible, him and his partner, for blowing open the Murdoch murders, which he's going to tell us about. If you don't know about this, it's a fascinating and incredibly sad story, but he's going to share that with us. Um, Eric Bland, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, Michael. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm thrilled that you're here. We've got to start with this guy, Robert Ravencraft, and you shared him, uh, him with me. And you said something to the effect of like, whenever I start to think I'm unique, I think about Robert Ravencraft. Could you tell our audience what is Ravencraft known for? Yeah. So I about 15 years ago, I was given a legal presentation in Miami. And, you know, at the time, I thought a lot of myself. I was a you know former bodybuilder. I used to be a bouncer in a bar. I worked for the Rolling Stones and um, down in the Tangerine Bowl, I used to be bodyguard for Billy Joel and all these concerts that happened in Florida. So I used to think, hey, I'm I'm a pretty unique guy. I'm I'm 40 years old. You know, I'm pretty big. I can bench press over 300 pounds, still total over a thousand pounds on squat and deadlift and bench. And I thought I was unique. And so I was going to go for a run with my wife on the beach. And the concierge said, hey, uh, you want to do something special? I said, sure. He said, go down the to 15th Street in Miami at the lifeguard stand. And there's a guy named Robert Ravencraft. And every day at 515, he runs eight and a half miles. So I said, oh, that, that'll be fun. He said, I don't think you quite understand what I'm telling you. <laughs> it's been every single day for the last 35 years, and he's never missed a day. And yeah. I couldn't I, believe I, I, he started in 19 for our listeners. He started in 1975. Yeah. Right? I mean, Michael, like, think eight miles it, a day. Yeah. You're talking Every about day. through Hurricane Andrew. You're talking about through sickness. If you read his story through concussions, a broken leg, and he's never missed a day. And you go down there and there's usually about 10 or 15 people that have come in from all different parts of the country to run with this guy. And every day you look over the dune and you wait to see if he comes because he's in his seventies yeah. and he's, he's hunched over from years and years of running with the toll that it takes on his body. And he came over the dune. Um, he's somewhat eccentric. When you read about him, he, almost an idiot savant, 
he's writes a lot of music and takes a lot of notes. But the one thing he can tell you is when you give him your name, he will give you a nickname. And then if you come back 10 years later, he'll tell you the day you ran the day of the week and your nickname. And we did it like five days apart. And he gave me my nickname, remembered obviously who I was with my wife and he shuffles and runs, you know, very slowly, but you're talking eight and a half miles. There's tons of people, Michael, if you look up, have done a mile a day, either walked or ran for 30 or 40 years, but you're talking more than a 10 K every single day. Some days when it's 20 degrees, pouring rain. And to me, it taught me to not smoke your own exhaust fume and think that you're something that you're not. When there's other people out there that walk the walk and talk the talk every day. So I always think of Robert Ravencraft when I'm going to talk myself out of a workout. Mm. Like I'm going to say, you know what? Well, I can do, I could double up tomorrow and do chest and back tomorrow, or I can do cardio in the morning and lift at night. And, or even when it concerns work, well, I got to write this brief. I'll put it off and do it till next week. And I'm telling you, I probably think about Robin Ravencraft three or four times a month. There'll be three or four times a month that I'll be my in a situation where I'm trying to talk myself out of doing something. And that dedication, that that amazing uh, legacy of consistency, because in life, consistency, being consistent is important. And it's pretty and it's a pretty amazing story. You don't hear about it. You know, only the runners, real dedicated runners like yourself. I mean, you told me you've done 50 10 K's this year and you wanted to go to 100 and you hurt your back. Now, now imagine doing 365 10 K's every day and more running on sand. Yeah. And not be able to pick the time that you want to do it. Like if it's raining in the morning, you'll say, well, it's going to get sunny in the afternoon. He does yeah. it every day. Same time. 515, regardless if it's raining or not. Yeah, that's incredible, man. And yeah, and to be honest, I mean, listeners of the show will know that my 10K goal for this year, I'm at 84 right now. It was just more of like a, I, I walk those. Uh, I now I, I trained for a marathon. I just did the Philly marathon, which listeners know. And so I ran a bunch of them during that time. Uh, it's also the, the, the goal, uh, I should say the, one of the rules in the, in the, in the group I'm in that's doing this is that, uh, a marathon only counts as one 10 K you don't get four for that. You don't get two for a right. 13 mile run. You get just one because you did it at one time. Anyway, I, I, I digress. But still, what you're doing is amazing, Michael. Don't it's it's cool. No, no, no. listen, it's cool. But to your point, uh, and there there are people who look at me who would look at me in that goal of 100, which you know it's uh, December 19th right now. I've got 12 days to get uh, 16 more of these in, so I'm going to be doubling up. We've also got Christmas. I'm not sure if my wife's going to let me do one on Christmas. Hey, don't you feel like you're living, Michael? Don't you feel like you got out of your comfort zone? Yeah, man. It's so hard to get out of the comfort zone. Agreed. And then you start living. So for me, I like to get comfortable getting uncomfortable. If I'm uncomfortable, if there's tension and discord, then I feel like I'm living. Then I feel like I can shine. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It sounds weird, but that's the way I feel. 
listen, the, the, but the Ravencraft story, or, or even, you know, I've, I have some friends who are doing this. I don't know if you've heard of the seven by seven by seven, which is seven marathons on seven continents on seven consecutive days. And I have two, two friends who are doing that. And then a third friend who's doing the same thing, but they're parachuting into all the locations. So oh they jump gosh. out of an airplane, they land, and then they start running, right? And so I'm like, even thinking about the logistics of that, which is like, well, you got to make sure you know how to like, you know, maneuver your parachute so you land somewhere near the starting line. But when I hear about uh, Ravencraft or I hear about these other stories, it makes me it makes me uh, raise my belief in what what's possible for others, sure. but for myself, right? And you you said you're you're 60 years old right now, correct? I just turned 60 in July. Yeah, and you're benching, you're bench pressing 340 pounds. Now, I don't know if our listeners understand, or at least all of them understand, that's a ton of weight, and that redefines for me. Man, I'm. I mean, I've got a little little ways to get to sixty, but to be able to bench over three hundred pounds, and you're saying I, that I think combined, you need. I think yeah. To wow. to deal with old old age, yeah, and to be able to make sure that as you get older, you have a a, a good plateau. You know, obviously, every year you lose one percent of your muscle, so we have to work twice as hard when we're over forty five years old to be better next year. That's kind of my motto. I want to yeah. be better next year. So you have to you have to work harder to maintain muscle because your body eats away at itself. So cardio is great because obviously we have to have heart strength and we have to make sure that we're pumping our blood and we're not, you know, developing a lot of plaque. But muscle tone is so much more important because your bones deteriorate as you get older. We become more brittle and muscle keeps those bones pliable and flexibility you show me a flexible man michael i'll show you a dangerous man you know yeah. so yeah. It, it's it's not just running you got to do everything so at, for 40 minutes every day you got to be lifting weights you better be doing yoga you better be on a, a treadmill or you got to do what you got to do i mean a couple of years ago i we were, we were my wife and i did triathlons and the whole summer every cool. weekend we either did you know, a sprinter and international. Um, wow, wow. For, for the entire summer. So, you know, it's just constantly saying, okay, here's a new year. What am I going to do differently? This year, I want to focus more on yoga because cool. as a free weight lifter, I lift a lot of free weights. I don't do a lot of machines, I do a lot of heavy weight. You get tight, you get brittle. And that's right. That's right you have a back issue. I'm going through a slight hip issue. Yeah, yeah. And I've really read about that. We have to be more flexible. So I'm going to try to start doing yoga. That's my goal this year. That's cool. I had a goal um, for a couple of years ago to be able to touch my toes by December right. 31st. Um, I, I am embarrassed to admit that I did not follow through on that one. I did the, that same year I did a hundred thousand pushups. That was my goal. My other a, goal is always, yeah. Um, I love vertical jumping. And so I do a ply playa jumping over on yeah. the box and I could do 40 inches. So on my 60th birthday, I did a 40 inch, do you know, 40 day, inch vertical jump. Are you kidding me? Right to up onto the box. Yeah. That's what I did. That's insane. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. All right. We are, we got to talk about, I don't, I almost don't even know where to start. Talk to me about, you shared the story. We got to get into the Murdoch murders. Sure. momentarily. And I know that there are some people who don't even know what that is. But before we get there, 
you shared your story with me about how you even uh, became an attorney, how you came to work for yourself, some of the kind of the, the maneuvers you made to get some interviews at some law firms who initially said they didn't want to sure. talk to you. Can you share some of your backstory with us? Yeah, I feel like you always have to sell. You know, my mouth is my greatest weapon. My words are my currency. So I feel like life is a, a continuous sales job. You sell when you get a job. You sell going into college. You have to sell yourself to your future wife. You sell yourself to your kids every day by example. Yeah. This is how they should lead. You sell customers. You sell clients. It's how you present yourself. And so I came from a very modest middle class background in Philadelphia and um you know, when I was 12 years old, I wanted to go to basketball camp, overnight basketball camp. And unfortunately, my father, you know, didn't have that kind of disposable income that he could send me. And he said, look, son, I, I can't do it, but maybe you could try to figure out a way to earn some money to get there. Well, I was already delivering papers. I, I wasn't earning enough money delivering newspapers. So I called Tony Zanin, who was the head coach of Haverford College at this basketball camp called Comet Trails. And I said, Mr. Zanin, my name's Eric Bland. I live in Narstown, Pennsylvania. Um, I'd like to come to your basketball camp, but I don't have money. And there was like a pregnant pause on there. And I said, but here's what I want to do. I said, I have six friends that I believe I can get to go to your basketball camp and pay full tuition. And if I can get them to do that, will you let me come for free? And he said, you know what, Eric, I will. And so I did that for three straight years. I got six people to come and I was able to go to basketball camp. And it taught me that, you know what, you can sell yourself. You, you got to figure out a way to get in the door. Now, once you get in the yeah. door, you, you know, you have to speak with authority. You got to speak truthfully. You can't puff. You can't lie. But any way you can get in the door, you take advantage of it, whether it's calling somebody and calling in a chit or you call somebody and ask them, hey, look, do me a favor. I need you to you know, get on the phone. Whatever it takes is really my motto. And I actually um, have it on my bracelet, whatever it takes. If you see oh, cool. it, yeah, right I there, it. Yep, it says I got it. whatever it takes. So for me, I learned that right then, that was one of my first lessons that I can sell myself. And number two, I have to learn how to be creative and differentiate myself from others. So I started a life that I was going to be different. So when other kids were drinking and carousing around, I was a gym rat. I became a gym rat at like 16, 17 years old. And the second thing that there were three seminal events. The second thing was my father lost his job. Um, I was 16 years old. He used to commute from Philadelphia to New York City. He didn't have the money to do it by train. He would drive. And he came home and he he uh, told my mom that he lost his job. Mm. And I remember them crying at the kitchen table. And I said to myself, I'm going to control my destiny. I'm not going to mm. let anybody control it for me. I don't want to work for somebody else. I, I, I want to be able to control where I sit and where I work. Yes, I may lose a client. But uh, nobody's going to tell me, here's your pink slip. You no longer work for me. Yeah. So that was very profound. So I decided I was going to be a lawyer um, and I wanted to get a job in Philadelphia. I wanted to go back home. I was at University of South Carolina. I didn't want right. to stay in the South. And 
I went to the recruiting office and I said, look, how do I get back to Philadelphia? I was in the top 10% of my class, Michael. So I had the credentials, the grades yeah. and, and everything. And the, and the placement director said, I'm sorry, we just have no connections up there. So I thought about my creativity and I started sending my resume. And of course, I wasn't getting a response. And yeah. so I started making phone calls to these large law firms in Philadelphia, because at that point, I just wanted to earn money. I wanted to you know, I saw my dad struggle and I wanted to make money. And I finally got a nice secretary on the phone and I started making time with her and talking, smooth talking like you could do. You know, I used to be an <laughs> bouncer in a bar, so I know how to talk. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, look, I'm going to call you every day until you tell me when this hiring partner is going to be in his office. And she said, OK, tomorrow morning. So this firm was Morgan Lewis and Bacchus, which is the biggest firm in Philadelphia. And I finally got the guy on the phone and I said, hey, my name's Eric Bland. I'm top 10 percent of my class, University of South Carolina. I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm going to be in Philadelphia next Thursday. Um, I'm in, you know, I want to interview with your law firm. And he said, look, Mr. Bland, I'm really sorry. You know, we only recruit from Ivy League schools and University of South Carolina is not an Ivy League law school. And I said, but listen, sir, I'm coming up next Thursday at 10 o'clock to interview with Drinker, Biddle and Reef, which was a competitive law firm of Morgan Lewis and Bacchus. The yeah. minute he heard that I was interviewing with Drinker, Biddle and Reef, he said to me, we'll absolutely give you an interview at two o'clock. Then I called Drinker, Biddle and Reef. And I said, you didn't actually have an interview with them, correct? No, I lied. <laughs> yeah. <of> my, <laughs> so I called Drinker, Biddle and Reef and I said, hey, I'm interviewing with Morgan Lewis and Bacchus at two o'clock <laughs> next Thursday. I'm coming in in the morning. Do you have a 10 o'clock time? So absolutely. Then I called Fox Rothschild for Friday. Then I called Stradley Ronan Stevenson Young and Wolf Block. And then I called them all back and said, hey, Drinker, Biddle and Reese paying for my plane flight and my lodging. Would you guys? Absolutely. We'll contribute. <laughs> the point is, I interviewed with 12 law firms. Um, I got 13 law firms. I got 12 job offers based on a lie. Now, is it a malicious lie? No. Is it a is it an untruth? It is. But once I got in there, I said to these hiring partners, I will make you look good. I will make you money. You won't have to worry about me. I'm going to be yeah. the guy that works and turns in his work product on time, that does his billable hours. You're not going to have to worry where I am, what I'm doing. I'm going to make you money. And yeah. I learned from that that the most important thing is to be able to get in front of somebody mm. and then let your attributes shine, whatever your attributes are, whether it's intelligence. Mine isn't necessarily intelligence. It's the ability to talk and the ability to yeah. convince. So I knew I was going to be a trial lawyer because I stand in front of juries and judges and I got to convince <laughs> them or I really know how to argue. Um, but the point is, whatever it takes. Whatever yeah. it takes for you to reach that dream, you know, a champion's reach is greater than his grasp. So whatever it takes, whatever you want to do, whatever it takes, do it, figure it out. I don't yeah. live in a box. I don't, you know, somebody says, oh, let's think outside of the box. I'm always outside the box. So yeah. I'm always thinking in ways that nobody else thinks. So when I work for clients, I'm always sending emails in the middle of the night or I send them on the weekend or text messages at times when somebody is thinking, 
he should be doing something else. He's thinking about my business. You know, mm. it's all it's it's about being creative. You know, I have 12 mm. principles of life that I live by um, and they're pretty easy principles. And if you can do eight out of the 12 every day, you're going to be exceptional. Yeah, game. You do. Yeah. And one is you got to be organized. Whatever you're doing, you have to be organized. If you're a disorganized person, if your office, you know, I always say disorganized people practice disorganized law. Mm. You know, everything you do has to be organized. You got to, a day is a 50 pound bag filled with 100 pounds of shit. Excuse my language. That's no, what a can, day is. Yeah, you have fine. to be able to multitask. Life doesn't let you be singular in what you're doing. You've got to focus on your family. You may have a sick family member that you got to make calls to the doctor. You got a report you got to make. Your brain has to be able to work and compartmentalize. And so number one is being organized. The other thing, number two, you have to have a sense of urgency. You have to be quick, but not in a hurry, because if you're in a hurry, you get sloppy. But you if you're things. quicker than everybody else, you're going to beat everybody else. Number three, you got to be a good listener. God gives you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> Listen first, then act. This mouth is a weapon and you can use it if you have a brain. Number four, you got to be a leader, not a follower. You, you can't be afraid to step forward. If you don't want to be a leader, you're never going to be able to make people do what you need them to do to reach your goals. Number five, and I won't go through uh, all of them, but number five is what I always preach to my kids. And that is you got to be mean when it counts. You have mm. to be tough when necessary. You got to mm. be able to make those hard decisions, telling your friends, no, I'm not going to drink, or that's not something that I think I want to do. I want to go home. And you mm. differentiate yourself because, Michael, it's all about creating a reputation. There's two yeah. things you can control, your own reputation and how hard you work. Nobody can. You yeah. don't need money for yeah. any of those things. Yeah. And once you lose your reputation, you lose it. You can't get it back. It's a sacred trust. And I don't let other people create my reputation. I created it for myself, by yeah. how I live my life. Well, speaking of, you know, and thanks so much for that. I mean, the, your backstory is fascinating to me. I mean, just the one of the themes of this show is around betting on yourself. And uh, yeah, you told a white lie to get in to get to get some interviews, but you get, I mean, you're 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 providing value for people, right? You got in the door with. You know, it reminds me of the old days when I put on my resume that I was like proficient in Excel and Microsoft, you know, and PowerPoint, all these things that I didn't have any idea how to do back then. But it was like, hey, get me in the door and I will prove my value to you. I'll prove my my worth to you. And you seem to be, I mean, just an absolute expert at being able to do that. And so I, I wonder, and by the way, just as a quick side note, you know, your, your rule number five. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Chad Wright. He's a retired Navy Navy SEAL. And he goes, be hard when it gets hard, right? Be hard right. when it gets hard. Because for so many of us, it's like when the hard thing happens, the, the run in the rain, the tough conversation that we need to have, the, the gambling on a new idea. For so many of us, we, we, we avoid that thing, right? And, and like you're saying, like, be mean when you need to, like, step up. When you have to like be hard when it gets hard, it's a different way of thinking Listen, for so many people. 
Right? The, hardest, like, the hardest thing for people that I've found is it's so easy to say no. No, I don't want to yeah. do this. No, uh-huh. I can't do this. No, you know what? I don't really want to be with that person. The hardest thing is to say yes. I'll take 99 no's for a yes. You can mm. tell me no, I don't want to hire you, and I'll go on to the next person until I get that one yes. I don't believe in no's. You know, I'm not the person that takes no for an answer. I'm going to figure the work around. I don't just walk away because I think the more we put pressure on ourselves, look, I, I function best in tension and discord. When yeah. the flame is hot and getting out of my comfort zone, that's when I do my best work. Mm. Mm. And I think we have that in us. All of us do. And I, I think agree. we're afraid to let it out. We're afraid to fail. You know, you, you dust yourself off. One of my favorite um, say, uh, sayings is by Theodore Roosevelt. It's the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts. Agreed. It's the yeah. man in the arena who who knows great defeats and gets up and dusts himself off. You know, people in the third row, they can tell you, oh, you know, you failed or whatever. But if you're sure at the plate, you ain't getting a hit, Michael. And you just got to get up and go go swing again. I know. And you, you mentioned uh, basketball earlier with the story of the basketball camp, which is a great, a great story, by the way. Um, I certainly was not making deals with people when I was 12 years old, but I, I watch a lot of basketball. And one of my huge pet peeves, and I think this is a metaphor for life, is when a guy comes driving down the lane and goes up to dunk it and a, a defender jumps up to stop him and gets dunked on. And now that person who got dunked on is like Poster. shamed. He across, got you, know, you, you got posterized. You're shamed on social media. It's an embarrassing. Uh, the the other teammates are are you know are laughing. They can't believe what's just happened. My my, my mentality is like no, like this person just tried to stop what might be an unstoppable force. Yeah, LeBron James or, oh, or Zion Williamson <laughs> coming at you at 280 pounds. I give that person credit who just stepped out there and said, I prob- this probably isn't going to go well. I care enough about it. I care enough about it and enough about you all that I'm willing to make myself, I'm willing to potentially look really foolish in this situation. And your, you know, your, your thought about like the fear of failure, like, I don't think we're good, very good as a society at promoting that like failure is okay, right? You don't I mean, learn until you feel the pain, Michael. Yeah. That's yeah. the bottom line. How yeah. hot does your furnace burn? Yeah. What kind of furnace? Listen, what kind of furnace do you got inside? And That's do you right. light it? Do you feed it? Do you nurture it? Do you put wood on it? How yeah. hot do you let it? Do you let that flame die out? I see so many people that go to work every day and their furnace is not lit. Yeah, man, I know. And, you know, know, whether it's whether they're running at half ass or they're they're in the gym and you could tell they're just, they do a set then they're on their phone or they're, they're over there. Phone, talking. Yeah. They're not working out. Yeah. They're going through the motions. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Listen, you got to talk to people about you and your partner broke open the Murdoch murders, which is might be the most famous legal case in the whole country right now as a result you said you said you've had over a thousand articles written about you in the last year is that right? two thousand you've been on you've been on aaron burnett you've been on chris cuomo you've been on anderson cooper i mean that's just the name of 2020 you. dateline what? netflix american greed right so first of all for folks who don't know can you just give us a little bit of the backstory sure. on what are the murder murders and then how did you how did you uh 
How did you break this case wide open? So um, I, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm a, you know, I born and bred in Philadelphia, a Jewish guy, went down to Columbia, South Carolina. Not the easiest thing to do. And <laughs> so early on in my career, I developed a niche with my partner, Ronnie Richter, of suing lawyers. It's not a popular thing to do for malpractice. So I don't imagine it is, the, yeah. My partner and I are one of the three super lawyers for legal malpractice in our state. So we have a reputation for when lawyers mistreat clients, steal money or make mistakes. So there was this family called the Murdals, M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. And for three generations, they controlled the solicitor's office in Hampton County, South Carolina. The solicitor's office handles the prosecution of criminal cases. And they had the largest law firm in Hampton County. And for a hundred years, it's been known as a judicial hellhole. So that if you're a defendant, a corporation, a railroad, a trucking company, and you get sued in Hampton County, the Murdoch's are going to get the case. It's going to go before a jury. They all live in the town. They send every year. Everybody who graduates high school gets a gift from them. They send flowers for funeral, or if you can't pay for a funeral, they'll pay it for you. They entertain the police three, four times a year with barbecues. They do everything right. They live in a small community of 3,800 people. That The density of that population has never changed. And over 100 years, they have gotten jury verdicts of $100 million, $50 million, verdicts that if you tried them in any other county in the state, it would be a $500,000 verdict. It's $50 million. Wow. And so they wow. they controlled this uh, area of our state called Hampton County. And a couple of years ago, uh, their son, um, who was a privileged boy, as you can imagine, these are multimillionaires. They're all family. They're all lawyers, the Murdoch's. There's four generations. There's brothers. They all have this law firm. The son, who was um, in college at the time, uh, had a reputation for carousing, uh, had a reputation yeah. for drinking. And he and uh, uh, other students and friends got on a boat, unfortunately, and he was drunk and it was his boat. And they were driving at two o'clock in the morning down in Beaufort, South Carolina in the waterways. Yeah. These are tidal waterways where the tide goes down and you can't ride your boat. And when the tide comes up, you can run through these creeks. Mm. And he was going 70 miles an hour. And unfortunately, he hit a bridge underpass, the the, the pilings of the bridge, a concrete oh, bridge. And this most beautiful girl who was an honor student from Clemson University, Mallory Beach, was thrown from the boat. And she wasn't found, Michael, for seven days and she died. Ooh. And so as a result, all these lawsuits started by Mallory Beach and her family and some of the other people in the boat where they sued Alex Murdoch, the father of Paul Murdoch, the kid who was driving the boat. And there was a reporter named Mandy Matney, who I do my murder, murder, Murdoch murder podcast with. I have Cup of Justice, which yeah. is a sister um, podcast. She went to the courthouse to just say, Who, who's this Alex Murdoch guy? You know, I've heard a lot yeah. about the power, very powerful family. And she came across a document where it turns out in 2018, this was in uh, 2019, um, 
In 2018, the housekeeper of the Murdoch's fell down the stairs at their house and died. Mm. And a law, a claim happened where Alex Murdoch sent them to a lawyer and said, sue me and I'll turn it over to my homeowner's insurance carrier for the wrongful death of your mother because the dogs tripped her. She fell down these brick stairs and and three weeks later she died. She had a massive head injury. Oh, gosh. And Mandy Matney comes across a document which showed that there was $500,000 worth of settlements. There was a number of settlements. And as it turns out, the family got none of that money. And I got a phone call in September of 2021, three months after the murders of his wife and son. They were murdered on June 7th of 2021. So you have the boating accident in 19. Then you have all these lawsuits and then the death of the house. Oh, the boating accident. Then the the corresponding lawsuits for the boating accident. And then Then also the housekeepers going on and all that. But then his wife and son are brutally murdered. And the son, the same son who was driving the boat, correct? Yes. Yes. And he was charged with felony DUI. Um, And um, Mandy Matney discovers this document and she writes an article about it. Well, of course, the family reads the paper and says, we never got any money. So when September, early September of 2021, I get a phone call. And they tell me, you know, Mr. Blam, we we retained uh, Corey Fleming, Alex Murdoch's best friend. A claim was made and we haven't gotten any money. And now I read an article in the paper where there was five hundred thousand dollars recovered. And. I get a phone call from another lawyer in the low country who said, Eric, it's not just five hundred thousand dollars. It's four point three million dollars. And so I write a letter and I'm not a lawyer that writes Hallmark cards, Michael. Usually my letters really brace you, push you up against a wall. But this (laughs) one, I was rather benign and said, look, there must be some mistake. You know, Mm. they didn't understand that money is either in trust or there was an annuity purchase, something. Tell me what happened to the money. I get crickets, nothing. So my second letter is is a balls of the wall letter. And I tell them, look, you know, you know who I am. This is what I do. I need to know where is the money? And they didn't respond. And so I immediately filed a lawsuit, which gave me subpoena power. And then Mm. I subpoenaed all these insurance companies. And I figured out that there was $4.3 million that was recovered. And Alex Murdoch stole every single dollar. Well, then I started getting on the TV. I have a lot of different contacts down here. And I started getting on the TV. And then national (laughs) news picked it up because the son was murdered. The mother was murdered and they didn't arrest anybody yet. They suspected it was Alex that possibly could have done it. Um, And so I start getting on the TV. And the minute I got on the TV, Michael, all these other victims started coming forward who said. Stole money from me, too. I think that they stole money from me, too. And what he would do is if if there was a 10 million dollar settlement, in my case, that he stole everything. But in most cases, if there was a 10 million dollar settlement, he would say there was a $5 million settlement. Got it. Give the client their portion of the 5 million. He'd take other, the other 5 million. And so yeah. I started representing a number of clients and for the Satterfields who lost 4.3 million, I, I recovered in excess of seven and a half million and they wow. got a $4.3 million judgment against Alex Murdoch. And so through the fall of 2021, Alex Murdoch 
got charged over 90 separate criminal charges for nine different victims, over 900 years worth of potential sentences. <laughs> just was charged last week for income tax evasion. Some of his co-defendants, all the lawyers and bankers that he was in cahoots with, have been criminally charged. And then just earlier this summer, he was finally charged with the murder of his wife and his son. And that trial is going to go uh, to trial on January 23rd, 2023, and be all over the world. And so I was responsible for all of the financial charges being brought yeah. against him. And I also argued at his bond hearing where the state wanted to give him a bond for $200,000. And I argued that he was the, one of the most dangerous people that I've ever met because um, he steals with a pen the same way somebody steals with a gun. And I started calling oh. him a serial pen, pen slinger. And I told the judge that he should not get bond. And damn it, if that judge Newman didn't give him bond, he finally went back before a judge and a judge reduced it to seven million dollars. Of course, he can't raise seven million. It's got to be all yeah. seven million, not just 10 percent. Right. And right. So, he, so I have him. I put him in jail last October of 2021. And he's been in jail ever since. And these stories have been on People magazine. I did it. Yeah. Uh, Netflix has done a 10 part series that's coming out. I was just on American Greed the last two weeks. So, uh, so hold on here. There, there's so much to unpack with this story. This is like, well, I, I, it, it, can you imagine? So John Grisham work of nonfiction, John, yeah. John Grisham came here. He wouldn't have to write fiction. You have yeah. murder. Yeah. And now murder, wait till yeah. I tell you, there's been five murders in his or five dead people in his orbit. Since 2015. So we got his his wife, his son, the housekeeper. Who else? Mallory Beach, the boating girl in the boat. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a young kid named Stephen Smith in 2016 who was a homosexual. And the rumor was that he was involved with somebody from the Murdoch family. And he was killed. And they ruled it a hit and run in the middle of the street in the middle of the night where his body was on the road except there wasn't any broken glass. There wasn't any skid marks. There wasn't any um, marks of him being hit by a car. His head was smashed, but they said that that looks like it was done with a baseball bat or a pipe. Really? His shoes were on. Now, if you get hit by a car, Michael, yeah, it's somebody's going 60 miles an hour, it blows your shoes off. You, you do. Yeah. He was just laid on the ground. And so now SLED, our state law enforcement agency, has opened a murder investigation on it. So five people in his orbit have been killed since 2016. He has stolen over $10 million. His law firm has been sued. The bank has been sued. Um, you think he killed the housekeeper too? Did she really trip over the dogs? No, I don't. Um, I just think that he's so dark and diabolical where you and I think about the humanity in people, he thinks about money. So he viewed it yeah. as an opportunity. Hey, I'll create this claim. They could sue me. I'll get the money and I'll steal it. Um, I think if he really wanted to kill the housekeeper, he wouldn't have uh, let her get in the ambulance conscious. Mm. Mm. He would have killed her. Got because it. Got the it. Fear that she woke up and said, "Hey, man, I just got smashed in the head with a baseball bat." Right, right. I would. Should be able so, to tell. But they, what's the but, what's the motivation for the? I know that this isn't your part of the, of the legal. This isn't part of like you know what you do in terms of the law. But what would be the motivation for killing the wife and the son? 
Well, it, it's interesting. One, he was about to, um, the law firm had discovered on the day that his wife and son were killed, his law, he was confronted by his law firm that there was missing a $750,000 fee. So he had that pressure. He was being sued in the Mallory Beach case and his children were being sued civilly. His son was on trial and charged with the DUI of the boating accident. And he and his wife were estranged. Got it. She, she, he went and took out a bank loan and pledged their beach house as security for the bank loan. Unfortunately, he didn't own the beach house. His wife did. Mm. And she wasn't going to give that up as collateral. So the theory of the state is he was under such financial pressure from having stolen money. And now the gig was up and people were starting to realize it. His law firm and Mandy Matney, plus he um, had an opioid addiction, according to his lawyers, where he was purchasing hundreds and thousands of dollars of opioids and distributing them. The, the, the state believes he was selling opioids as well to raise money. The world was crashing in on him. And the theory of the state is that he killed his wife and son. He was pissed at his son because his son, because of the boating accident, it blew everything up and all brought all the focus in. And yeah. then he was mad at his wife because the rumor was that she was going to leave him. And so he killed them, according to the state, so people would have sympathy for him. Now, I'm going to tell you the one other thing that happened. So this is in June of 2021. On Labor Day, there's another shooting that takes place. He was shot on the side of the road where a bullet grazed his head. He claims that he had a flat tire. If you do the research and he's criminally charged with this too. If you do the research, he claims he had a flat tire and some guy came and said, do you need any help? And then pulled out a gun and shot him and brazed his head. Well, what it turned out to be was he was trying to do an insurance scam. He had a $10 million life insurance policy and he wanted to be killed. And so he had his cousin named Eddie shoot him so that he could collect $10 million of insurance that would go to his son. And so now he's also criminally charged with insurance fraud and faking a suicide. You can't make this up, Michael. And so that's you why this case, yeah. that's why this case has so much. It has murder. It has theft. It has, uh, you know, philandering. You know, he was a womanizer. It has everything everything of the deadly sins and it's caught yeah. the, the 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 world i was over in uh golfing in england in september and somebody asked me what i did one of the caddies and i said i'm a lawyer he said where are you a lawyer from and i said south carolina he said south carolina he said isn't that where that myrtle uh thing is going on and i said yeah that yeah. i'm actually involved and the guy looked at me and said oh my god i've seen you on tv i know who you are. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all over the world Eric, when you start going after somebody at this level, are you, is there, is there, are there nerves that like, yeah, this you dude, know, I've this never guy, been, I mean, he killed his, I've never family. Been part he killed of the his family. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I have security and, you know, I have, I take care and I carry a weapon and, you know, I've got a big alarm system and everything like that. And I've had death threats. The FBI has, has, has alerted me to, you know, there's chatter out there, but for my entire career, Michael, I made a, a, a living kind of being on the outside. I, I wasn't born here in South Carolina. I yeah. sue lawyers. It's not like 
in Philadelphia or New York where there's thousands and thousands of lawyers. This is a very genteel, you know, Southern area where people are nice to you and then stab you in the back. Here I am suing lawyers and <laughs> judges don't like it. So I, you know, my friends, none of my friends are lawyers. My best friend's a felon, um, Danny Snellgrove. I work out with him every day. He, he did a year and a day for income tax fraud. All my friends are non-lawyers. So um, it's kind of who I am. You know, I've always done things and I sued people that nobody else want to sue. Like all my work is referral for people who say, hey, I got a great case, but I can't sue that person. So mm. it's just kind of who I am. Look at that, man. And really, what a service. I mean, this family just seems to be corrupt, rotten to the core. They and, are. Uh, they are. They are generationally uh, have generationally perverted justice. Wow. Wow. So you're like, it's just amazing, man. I'm thinking back to you uh, telling all those different law firms that you have uh, that you've got an interview with somebody else. So they would let you in the door. And now it led to you. I mean, dismantling this just unbelievably corrupt system. It's about, I always wanted to be a difference maker because my father always taught me hang out with difference makers. Don't waste yeah. your time with people that can't help you in what you want to do with your life. So it's kind of um, uh, selfish in a way, or it's kind of dark in a way. I don't use people, but I only try to associate with people that are going to make me better as a person or can help my career. I don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. Life Agreed. is short. You, you, you have to raise children. You have to make sure you're a law-abiding citizen. You have to save money so that you can have some kind of retirement. You know, you can't put off to tomorrow what you should be doing yesterday. I always tell my kids, if you're 10 minutes early, you're 20 minutes late. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, be, the diff be a difference maker. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, listen, wise words, uh, and just so thankful you came on the uh, came oh, on yeah, the man. show. I enjoyed and, talking uh, to you. Shared your wisdom. Yeah, it was it was amazing, and and I knew from our very first interaction, uh, we spoke. We got introduced through a third party, and we spoke. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, please come on, please come on our show because in in ten minutes, standing on my front lawn waiting for my kids to get up the bus. You inspired the heck out of me, and so I'm uh, I'm thrilled that you did this for well, us. Well, you inspired me. Now you got now I got to start some kind of uh, repetitive. Got to do something different. Got to figure out something different. You you got these ten Ks on my head. That's all <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about. No, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, my goal for uh, my goal for 2023 is uh, three thousand six hundred and fifty miles of movement, running, walking, or biking. That's an average of 10, 10 miles a day, but it doesn't count. If you just like, if you're, you know, if your steps are like, let's say you right. walk three miles. Right. It's got to be a de designated exercise. Yeah. Actual exercise. My brother, doing, so. my brother ran uh, 26 marathons in a year, every weekend. One year. Oh, wow. Okay. He, he made it to 26. Cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Oh, wow. It's hard. Oh, wow. Can you imagine yeah. people who run a marathon every day for, for an entire year straight? Yeah. That's, that's nuts. I mean, somebody just, I think they just broke the record. Yeah, do the it research is. on Robin Ravencraft. And, and you know, as you're taking a shower, you're driving, let's say you got to drive 30 minutes. Just think about that amazing achievement. Yeah. So what time is it right now? It's 5.10. It's 5.10. I'm looking at my clock. Yeah. There's at least 15 people 
at that 15th Street lifeguard stand right now. Yeah. I'm looking at my temperature in South Carolina here. It's 31, 38 degrees. So in yeah. Miami, it's probably a little colder. And he's going to come at 520 and he's going to start running and they're going to do yeah. eight and a half miles. Yeah. And he's done it every single day every since day. 1975. And he's For never 47 years and never missed a day. Yeah, man. And it breaks it, you know, does it with run, the flu. He does it with, you know, he does it. You say he did it with a broken leg. I mean, you know, I like, mean, I'm tearing, I'm tearing up right now. Just, you know, you think about that, the dedication, yeah. you know, is insane. It's just insane. That's what we have inside of us. We can tap it. We can, we can chisel at it and unlock it and unleash it. Think about where we would be if everybody did that. Love it, man. I love it. Eric, is there a way folks can like connect with you? Uh, yeah. Like website or Instagram, anything you can share in the. Yeah. The my, uh, I'm Eric Bland. You could call me uh, at my law office, 803-256-9664. My email address is Eric Bland at Bland Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Eric Bland. Um, love to hear from you, whatever you need. I get calls from all over the country, I practice in other states. Uh, so whatever you need, I'm here for you. If you want to just talk, go to my Twitter and you'll see I, I post an exercise every single week. Yesterday, That's I posted cool. push presses with a bar and, you know, just different stuff about you got to be a whole person. You are an absolute you are a beast of a whole person, man. I'm I'm happy that I that I got to meet you and I'm thrilled that you came on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, Eric, man. And, appreciate you yeah. having me. Take care. Everybody. Brother. Peace at, uh, yeah. Inspiration. Accelerator. I'm Michael, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks so Peace much. Out. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.